You guys can have a seat. Hey, we're going we're gonna to have some fun today. Can we do that? Are you sure? Okay. All right, in a very strange way, um, I am excited about our passage today. And we just started uh, part two of our Exodus series last week. We started part one last summer, and we're picking up part two this summer. Uh, and this week, we've got some great coffee cup and bumper sticker verses, as well as a few great memory verses um, out of the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus 20, uh, verse 23, all the way through chapter 23, verse 33. So we've got 91 verses today. I'm not going to read them all at once. Um, just a few right now. Uh, this, this is just a small snippet of our passage for today. Okay, We're going to start in Exodus 20, 26. This is what it says. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Okay? Or how about 21, 5 to 6? This is what it says. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. But his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. Okay, uh, how about these? These may encourage you today. Exodus 21, 14 to 17. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now that last one, um, may work for a copy cup for the moms and dads. I don't know. Here's, one, here's another one uh, that may be a little bit more cheery. Exodus 21, 33 and 34. When a man opens a pit or when a, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner and the dead beast shall be his. So if you have an ox or a donkey, you now know what to do. Um, all right, let's jump into chapter 22, and we'll give this, one, we'll give this chapter a try, okay? Uh, verse 1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Okay, there you go. If someone steals your sheep, you now have proper insight from God's Word on what to do, okay? Look at, uh, look at chapter 22 for a few more practical verses. Verse 18, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Verse 20, whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. I thought maybe some of those could be helpful. All right, here's a more practical one for a few of you. I, I, just know, I know this one's going to be helpful. Verse 26, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Okay, I said I had a good feeling about this one. Um, this is God's word telling you if you've borrowed someone's clothes, you need to give it back, like today, before the sun goes down. All right, let's jump into chapter 23. For a few more practical verses, look at verses 1 to 3. You shall not uh, spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to, the, to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in, in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So there's a, there's a few good nuggets there. But let's read chapter 23, 10 to 12. For six years you shall sow your land and gather it in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie follow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave the beast of the field may eat, you shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. 
Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant women and the alien may be refreshed. So there you go. If you have, uh, if your ox are tired after a long week, uh, you can now give them a break. And then to finish out our passage today, our very last one, one of my favorite memory verses, chapter 23, verse 19, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is God's word for us today. 91 verses of laws and rules that seem to have uh, very little significance for a 21st century American, uh, specific, specifically those living maybe in the cities or the suburbs. And I've told many of you uh, many times, a part of me has wanted to be a farmer, uh, one of my nicknames in college was Farmer Eric, uh, and so maybe one day these will come in handy. And I, say, and I say that to say, if you're here for the first time, we are so glad that you're with us today. Um, I kind of say all this jokingly, but uh, you know, last week I told you that part one of Exodus is the part that Hollywood loves. The first 19 to 20 chapters of Exodus is the well-known part of all these great stories. And part two of Exodus is the part that people tend to fall asleep on or skip over or quickly skim through but let me tell you it would and let me tell you it would be way easier just to ignore this part of Exodus just preach Exodus 32 with the story of the golden calf and call Exodus complete but i think we would miss something that the lord may want to show us today because as we know and quote often 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In fact, this is the part of the Bible that David said when, when he meditated, he said he meditated on this part day and night in Psalm 119. And so, New City Church, let me just say it very uh, plainly today. We have a very odd text. A text that many people say to themselves, see, I told you the Bible was boring. This is the part of the Bible where people in their one-year Bible reading, they often stop. And then to make it harder for us, right after this uh, comes Leviticus, which is like three, uh, three chap- like these three chapters extended into 27 more chapters. And just something one of my seminary professors, just as a little side note, told me, um, a trick for reading through Leviticus in your one-year Bible reading plan is just to sit down in one or two sittings, uh, get in and get out, and then come back to it later after you've read through the entire Bible several times um, to do a little bit of a deeper dive. But today, we're going to get a small taste of God's law and what to do with it. And so before you completely check out and maybe get mad at me uh, because I said we would have some fun today, like kind of like a bad parent joke for kids, No, I really believe this. I said this earlier. I'm excited about today. I truly believe we have a very practical and applicable word from God today. In fact, our main idea suggests, this is what it says, the law of God teaches us to love God and to love our neighbor. It's all about love. And as soon as I say that, you may be thinking, Pastor Eric, that sounds great, but those verses we just read, uh, they weren't quite doing that for me. Well, I'm glad you said something about that, uh, because although many of these rules and laws are seemingly insignificant for us today, because maybe we don't uh, own any farmland or ox or donkey or sheep, or maybe uh, we don't know any sorcerers. But I say that, you know, and also I don't know about you, but I don't really plan on boiling a baby goat in their mother's milk anytime soon. But the principles that come out of them are still applicable and useful and teaching us very practically how to love God and how to love our neighbor. 
And just so we're on the same page, uh, this is not me saying this. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. Look what Jesus himself said about these laws. The Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees, they're all getting together, and they asked Jesus directly, verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, last week, uh, we looked at the Ten Commandments, which, which again, quickly, are no other gods, no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain, keep the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, don't murder, murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet. And as we looked at those Ten Commandments that God gave to His people on Mount Sinai in the middle of His great show of power, if you remember the story with thunder and lightning and smoke and fire and clouds and the people on the mountain, they were trembling. We saw that He gave these Ten Commandments as an act of love for His people. We saw that the Ten Commandments were given to help His people flourish and to learn how to live as God's freed people. Because remember... If you remember the story of Exodus, before this, they were all enslaved, and now God is teaching them and showing them how to live in a way that helps the entire community to flourish. And so the Ten Commandments, which for us today are still good for us to follow and obey, was a gift given by God for their benefit of His people. And something that I didn't point out last week about the Ten Commandments is that the first four teach us how to love God. And the last six teaches how to love people. Again, all of the laws in the commandments, and including all the other laws in Exodus and Leviticus and the rest of the Old Testament, are there to show us how to love God and how to love people. And you may be thinking, I get that for the Ten Commandments, because those still seem to kind of work for us today. But all those weird and random laws that would be read at the beginning, maybe you think, okay, I'm just not really picking up what you're putting down. Um, you're going to have some explaining for this. Uh, and so we're going to have a little bit of a Bible teaching lesson just for a, just for a second. I'm going to kind of put off my uh, pastor preacher hat, and I'm going to put on the Sunday school teacher hat, uh, and we're going to do some explaining. Okay? You guys ready for this? There are two dangers. Amen. Yeah, I love it. Uh, there are two dangers we face with these Old Testament laws with these ones that seem strange to us today. The first danger is that we completely disregard all of these case laws. We ignore them and, and deem them completely useless. Now, I'm not a betting man, but I think that's probably the majority tendency just in, 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 in culture is just to kind of skip over and glaze over and ignore them. And the other extreme, the other danger on the other side is that we overemphasize them like these laws need to be the law of the land in our city. Like and start holding everybody accountable to perfectly uphold these laws, which may have um, some strange outcomes if we did that. So uh, we, like we may need to get some sheep and some goats and some ox uh, so we can better uphold the law. Um, maybe that would be fun for me. I don't know. But no, we're going to land somewhere in the middle and say, yes, they're helpful for us and that we can still learn from the principles behind them, but not the actual and specific laws themselves, because most of these laws were intended for a specific people at a specific time in history. And so just to explain this uh, a little bit more in about a minute in our Sunday school lesson for today, I think this may be helpful. Okay, the Ten Commandments, these are timeless truths where the laws that follow them, the, that we're looking at today, 
are the application of the Ten Commandments for a specific people at a specific time. You know, a 16th century reformer, John Calvin, uh, saw that the New Testament seems to divide the Old Testament laws into three different types. We got civil laws, ceremonial laws, and then moral laws. Civil laws, uh, which were to help govern the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, were specific laws for a specific people for a specific time. The ceremonial laws, which showed uh, what was clean and unclean with various sacrifices and temple practices, uh, which when Jesus came, he turned all of that upside down. And a lot of those kind of went away. And then lastly, we have moral laws, which is what God deems right and wrong, like the Ten Commandments, which we can still hold to today. Well, uh, much of our text today fall into these first two categories, civil laws and ceremonial laws that may not apply directly to us today, but the principles behind them, they're still good for us to look at, right? And if I completely lost you there, just check back in and maybe this will help, okay? And so if you've ever had a roommate, um, I think you might get this. Living with other people um, can sometimes be a challenge. You have quirks, uh, your roommates have quirks, you have bad habits, and so do they, and soon enough, House rules are starting to form. You know, I've had, I've had four different major seasons of life with four different types of roommates. The first major season was when I was a kid. My, my roommates, they were my family. And like many of you, we had a lot of house rules like uh, no cussing, put your dishes in the dishwasher, keep your room clean. And when we were younger, we had a rule that we could not go out the front door. Because we lived on a major busy street and everybody came in the back door to our house. So we went, and if we went out the front door, we would have been met with hundreds of fast driving cars. And if we all obeyed, life was good. Apparently, though, when I was a young kid, I was known to be a great escape artist. And many times I went out the front door on my own. Uh, and I was disciplined as a result. But well, when I went off to college, we had some of this, many of the same rules about like, you know, the dishwasher and trying to keep things clean with a few others, like no jumping jacks at 5 a.m. for the people who were below us. We had to install a, a washing machine use limit because one guy, he would wash clothes every day, but it was like a towel, a pair of socks, and a shirt. And so we had to reduce his washing machine use. So that was a rule. But the house rule that we did not have that we had when I was growing up was the no going out the front door. Uh, no, we did not discipline each other for using the front door. That would have just been a little strange for a bunch of college guys, right? And then I got married uh, to my wife, Kelly, and some rules stayed, some rules left, and some new ones uh, came. And it's like, hello, this whole guy-girl thing, you know, and when you get married, um, you have to learn a thing or two, and then now we have three small kids. And so we have all new rules. Um, and let me tell you, that washing machine rule we had in college, it would not fly in our house. We do laundry all the time. This one's free um, for you today. Dirty laundry is a result of the fall, right? I, it's just, that's just the way it is. You know, all four life stages, some rules were the same, but others were specific to the time and place. But the principle for all of them were the same. They were all put in place for the flourishing and the good of the house. They were made to serve each other, to help each other, and to be considerate of each other and of the entire house. And so here is Israel. 
You know, we've got a lot of people living in community together. Remember, they kind of, they're all at the foot of the Mount, Mount Sinai. They're all, uh, kind of, they camped there. They're kind of camping. Uh, and they almost uh, all farmed during this time. And so they had animals and they needed rules and laws for their flourishing in this community at this time. And so after God gave them 10 commandments, God gave them specific life application, practical application rules and laws for their life during this time. These were Israel's house rules, so to speak. And so in many ways, this is God showing that he cares about the practical, everyday life situations. If you've ever thought God doesn't care about the little arguments over the dishes or the laundry or the really weird things that happen only in your house, he cares. Right? He cares deeply about your entire life. And he wants to see each of you flourish in all of life. And not only does he want to see you flourish, he wants to see your community and your city. And he wants to see the entire world flourish. And so in his kindness, he gave his people very practical rules and laws. So today we're going to kind of go back through these chapters with a wide, broad view and draw out the principles of some of these strange laws and rules, these mosaic laws, uh, and see how the principles still apply to us today. In a lot of ways, we'll see the heart and the character of God. We're going to see, uh, we're going to see it in full view, but don't worry uh, you know, we're not going to go through every law. It would take me about 15 minutes to read the entire section. Maybe you guys can go and do that in your own time. That would be great. I would encourage you to do that. Um, you know, you would benefit from them looking at each one and drawing out different principles. But today we're just going to do an overview. You know, we tend to go line by line, verse by verse. But we're going to look at these as a collective whole and see how they were a means for loving God and loving people. And in a lot of these laws, we see that God put them in place because God loves people. He values all people in all areas of stages in life. And so, in fact, many of these laws and rules were put in place for those who were uh, the vulnerable. They were put in place for the weak and the poor and those who commonly were victimized. You know, we talk often here at New City Church about our focus towards the poor and the orphan and the widow and the unwed mother and the refugee. And so it's not just so we can kind of check it off the list, but it's because the God of the universe, He cares for them. Every single person, he values them, and he tries and he seeks to defend them. And we see it come out in these laws. We see the justice and the mercy and fairness of God throughout all of these laws. And in saying that, I want to address the person uh, who may not have yet put your trust in Jesus. Or maybe somewhat uh, indifferent or just kind of apathetic in your faith. I hope that looking at some of these strange laws that seem strange for us today, that you'll be able to look past the strangeness and see the character of God that, may, that, that, that made them. Look at the character of God that made these for a specific people at a specific time and know that he did that because he is relational with his people. He cares deeply for all people and all parts of history. And that same God who cared for these specific people at this specific time, in fact, he cares deeply for you. He cares for your soul. <laughs> Just like he fought to protect these people, he wants the same for you. The God who created the world is intentional and a pursuing God. He pursued these people for their good, and he's doing the same for you. He wanted these people to worship him, and he wants you to worship him also. So like I said, we're going to go back, and re, uh, we're, we're going to go back kind of through these laws and look at it as a, at a, as a big picture. And you may see in your own Bible, you may see how they have uh, several different categories to how they're categorized over these 91 verses, over these several chapters. 
But for today, I'm going to use seven different categories for these laws, which came directly. I didn't come up with this. This came directly from Pastor Tony Morita, his commentary, Christ-Centered Exposition. So I'm using kind of his outline for this. It was, it was helpful for me. And so this is, this is what we've got as an outline for us today. We've got laws on worship, laws on slavery, laws on behavior, laws on restitution, laws on holiness and purity, laws on justice, and laws on Sabbath and festivals. And again, all of these are pointing to, the love, uh, to love God and to love people. We're going to address most of these pretty quickly um, and then see how it all kind of ties together at the end. And so let's, uh, let's look first at some of these laws uh, for worship that we could categorize you know, under that, um, the first umbrella of uh, loving God. So look at chapters 20, Exodus 20, 22 to 24. The first verses in our text, uh, verse 22 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for themselves gods of gold. An altar of each of you shall make for me and sacrifice it, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings and your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. And then right after that, you kind of, if you kept reading it, you would see that he mentions not using, uh, sto- uh, using a tool for stones. And then we would see how he kind of goes, not, not go up the steps to the altar, um, and I, I guess you know, he did it, he says, it says not so that they wouldn't expose their nakedness. I guess they didn't wear underwear at the time, or they just, you know, that's just kind of what they did. But uh, which leads us to our first category. Number one, laws on worship. Exodus is, verses 22 to 26. Uh, just to keep this simple, the principles here for worship are modesty in worship, like covering yourself. And simplicity in worship, seen in the simpli- just specifically seen in the simplicity of the stones there, and also just being able to meet anywhere. And so in essence, for us today, there is no difference in gathering in a $100 million sanctuary in a hut in Africa. Right? We don't need over-the-top extravagance. Uh, we, no, we need purity, simplicity, and we need the Spirit of the living God. It's not about where we meet, but our attitudes and our heart posture as we meet, which means we can meet in a lime green, right, elementary school cafeteria, right, we can, uh, we can, that have like 50-year-old halogen lights that take about 15 minutes to turn back on when you cut them off, right, I mean, it's just like, you know, the stage creaks because your pastor up here bounces around too much, I get, I get too excited, uh, but we can still meet and gather with the Lord to worship in His presence. Yeah, we want to do things with excellence, but we don't need extravagance. We need the Spirit of God. We need our hearts and attitudes to be ready to meet with the Lord because it's not about us. It's about worshiping Jesus Christ. I mean, again, here at New City, we try to do everything with excellence, always seeking to improve while also keeping things simple. God's law for Israel and their worship may not fully apply to us, all, all of it, but we can certainly learn and draw from the principles, Okay. Uh, and then look at the next category, number two, laws on slavery, Exodus 21, verses 1 to 11. So I'm not going to read this entire section, but I do want to point out a few things. Uh, slavery in the Bible is not the same as slavery that existed in the United States. When you read slave here, uh, specifically in this section, you need to think of a, as a hired worker, almost like someone who has a contract, someone who's almost like to work for a business, a contract to work for a business. And one of the most important distinctions was it was, it was voluntary. That they were not forced into this. You know, people often uh, did this during this time to get rid of some sort of debt. In fact, later in Exodus 21, 16, 
God actually forbids involuntary slavery. And like he forbids stealing and selling people. And the next, what we also see here, see here is that they didn't separate families like, we, like they did here in the United States. The laws required them to keep their families together. There are also specific laws, specifically for female slaves, that at the surface they seem a bit odd, but we need to be careful not to think sex slavery like, what's, like the, the tragedy that we see here today in our culture. But rather... It was a provision for poor families during this time to give their daughters an opportunity for marriage and to protect them in the process. Because God loves his daughters. He wants to protect them. And he wants to make sure they're treated lovingly and fairly. And we also see here that God expects men to defend them and to treat them justly. And look at our third category. Number three, number, number three laws on behavior. Verses, Exodus 21, 12 to 32. Again, there's several various laws here regarding animals and murder and injury and others, but what we should notice is that the punishment needs to fit the crime. And also that God values life and people. You guys can go and debate this later, you know, kind of on your opinion uh, in regards to capital punishment. The Old Testament law seems to be in favor of it based out of the laws in this section, but, what we need, well, but when we get to the New Testament, uh, we see some more room for grace and debate. Uh, but you guys can go and debate that later, maybe in your groups or that group this week. But what's not up for debate is that God values human life. In fact, the death penalty in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament was put into place because of the value of human life. And it protected the poor from being exploited by the wealthy specifically. You know, keeping uh, the wealth, wealthy from buying out their punishment when the poor, they could not do that. Which feeds into the other principle we see here, that the punishment needs to fit the crime. Exodus 21, 23, and 24. But if there is harm, then you should pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, stripe for a stripe. God was providing a means of fairness specifically for judges in these case laws. We see Jesus address, use this in the New Testament that encourages Christians to show grace when he says, turn the other cheek. But again, in both instances, the motive and intention was and is love. Look at the next category. Number four, laws on restitution. Uh, chapter 21, 33 to 22, 15, verse 15. To say it more directly, these are the laws that people used uh, when people just got taken advantage of. You know, I like to think of these as kind of like, if you remember, maybe the Judge Judy laws. Um, kind of like Judge Judy cases, the ideas, they seem pretty sensible, respect, you respect each other's property and see each other and everyone's good. Um, for example, in chapter 21, 33 to 34, it says if someone is irresponsible, uh, like not covering a pit that he opened up and someone else's donkey when it fell into it, the guy who dug the pit, he had to pay the guy and he got to keep, the, the guy that dug the pit had to keep the dead donkey. Sounds like a, a great Judge Judy episode, I guess, I don't know. But what you would notice was that the laws uh, was that jail was never mentioned. Lives were uh, lives weren't being taken. These were smaller civil cases. Generally speaking, if someone if something was destroyed, the payment was greater than that was what was destroyed. It was oftentimes doubled, and the idea was that it taught the community to value each other's property. Like you should care about other people's stuff. You know, maybe you've heard it this way. Uh, to think of others as more significant than yourselves. You know, it's one thing to damage your own stuff, but an entirely different thing to damage your neighbor's stuff. 
You know, just these smaller case laws, all these little small case laws, God was seeking to teach his people to love his neighbor, to be on the lookout, not just for yourself, but for everyone else too. And then next, number five, laws on holiness and purity, Exodus 22, 16 to 20. Here we see laws for seducing virgins, uh, what to do with sorcerers and those that lie inappropriately with animals, and then also all sorts of wrongful sacrifices. There are, only, there are only about five verses in this section, and it's, and it's often clumped in to the next section, but I think it's worth addressing independently because we see, uh, we see great consequences of premarital sex and, and outs- doing it outside of God's design. The consequences were detrimental. And although the consequences may look differently today, the consequences are still detrimental. And the principles are still the same. God desires holiness and purity for His people. And it's it's worth addressing just for the sole purpose of the need for both men and women today to remain pure in their relationships and in their heart and in their mind and in their actions because we live in a sex-craved culture where accessibility is at an all-time high. But uh, may we not forget that God has called us to holiness and purity. It, it, It may seem like it's slavery to some, like you're kind of being held back or a fight you don't want to fight, but I promise you, listen, it's for your good to stay within God's design for marriage. And so I don't want to miss the opportunity to charge each of you to press on, brothers and sisters, because we have been given the power of the Spirit of God who changes hearts and minds and who leads us into godliness. Don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight. And then uh, the next, number six, laws on justice. Exodus 22, verses 21 to uh, chapter 23, 10. Again, a, a, another big section. There's so much here. But in this section, we see God's heart for the sojourner and the refugee and the protection of the widow and the fatherless. And again, God puts these laws in place to protect the vulnerable because this is the heart of God. God says He hears their cries and He will protect them, right? That's good news. Amen? That's good news. He will protect them. We see God's protection of the poor, His disdain disdain for wickedness and bribes, and He also speaks out of not cursing rulers. There's one verse in 22, 28 about that. There's so much here. But what I want to emphasize is the heart of God for the vulnerable. That you see God's heart for the poor and the orphan and the widow and the unwed mother and the refugee. The heart of God is to protect them, to watch out for them, to speak up for them, and to take them in. In fact, God expects His people to do the same. God expects us to do it because through Christ, He's done the same for us. Through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. By believing the gospel, God takes us as estranged orphans and he makes us his children. God becomes our father. He becomes our groom for the, for the, for the, for the unwed, for the widow. And, then, he, and then, he, then we were wandering in estranged sojourners and refugees and he brought us in and he befriended us and he makes his house our home. He gives us a place. That's what God does for us in the gospel. God invites us to into his table, and God fed us when we were hungry. God picks us up when we're down, and he hears our cries. New City Church, this is the heart of God that he has shown to us, and he calls us to do the same thing for others. I mean, just starting and starting next week, we have an excellent opportunity to put this into action in tangible ways. Next week, in about 10 days from now, we're hosting our quarterly serve week, where we stop all of our, our midweek groups 
And we seek to just serve our community. We try to be the hands and feet of Jesus and seek to be a blessing to our community. It's not perfect, okay? But it's a step in the right direction. We keep taking steps towards this. In fact, I want to encourage you to go outside and sign up today for one of those serve opportunities. we got one Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday in two weeks, 10 days. We often don't realize this, but one of the best things we can do for our own own soul is to serve others. It's just to love our neighbors. It's not just for their good, but serving others is also for our good. And then lastly, number seven, laws on Sabbath and festivals. I personally really appreciate this one. Uh, Exodus 23, 10 to 19. I really appreciate all of them, uh, but this one's different. These are the laws for resting and celebrations and feasts, uh, which are, I love a good feast. They're right up my alley. Nothing better than a good old nap and a good feast. And I especially appreciate this one because specifically because it reminds us of our humanness. And these laws are God's way of ensuring everybody gets to rest at some point. It's part of God's design. The land gets rest, the animals get rest, the poor get rest, the workers get rest, the vineyards and the olive orchards get rest. Everybody gets rest. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, God himself rested. And in a few weeks, we're going to look at this a little bit more intently on the importance of balancing work and Sabbath and rest. But all that to say, resting is for the good of God's people and creation. And these laws, they helped to protect it. These laws helped God's people flourish to a, young and a new church, to a young new church plant. I hope you hear this. You need to remember this. I need to remember this. It's good and it's wise to rest. It is good and wise to rest. You need rest. We all need rest. Physically, mentally, emotionally, it is good and wise to rest. Rest. Work hard, rest well, and I hope this summer we can all rest well so we will be ready to run hard this fall. And the last thing I want to point out in this section, there are three different feasts, three different feasts, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering. Uh, you know, like I said, God loves a good feast. Many good things in the Bible happen around a good feast. But what's interesting about these feasts for us is that they each in some way point God's people to remember God's salvation. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is around the Passover, which reminds God's people that they, they are set apart, that God has passed over them, and that God has saved them. According to Philip Ryken, these three feasts, in some way, they point us to Jesus, who is the first fruit of the resurrection. He's the Lord of the harvest, the water of life, and He is the sacrifice for our sin. These feasts, these three feasts, are God's means for his people to remember God's goodness and provision and his faithfulness. And God throughout history has put various means in place so that his people would remember because he knows how forgetful his people can be. Because how quickly we can forget his faithfulness. How quickly we can forget his provision and his goodness. And he knows it's for the good of his people to celebrate and to feast and also to rest. And just to wrap up all these laws. It's so important to remember again, these laws, they do not show bondage. These laws are for the flourishing of God's people. And again, they show the heart and love of God. They were intended to be a good gift to God's people. So all these principles that we've looked at today, all these laws, they're a gift to us. These principles, insights for us on worship and taking care of workers and people, loving our neighbor and fighting for purity, being fair and just, taking care of the vulnerable and resting and celebrating and feasting. All of these things are good things. They're gifts for us and they're good for us. 
But may we not miss what is greatest for that which is good. The laws, the law was for our good. They were for Israel's good. But the law was intended to drive us to God and to get us to Jesus. Oh, we can't miss this today. All of these principles are good and right on how we should worship and care for people and love our neighbor and act justly and protect the vulnerable and remain pure and rest and celebrate. But we can't miss why we do them and the source of whom they come from and who they're for. Because when Jesus came and walked this earth, much of Israel missed Jesus as Lord because of their focus on the goodness and fervency of the law, which was good and right. But they missed the greatest gift that God gave them. They missed it because of the good gift of the law that was given to them. It was given to them by God. There are so many practical things to apply today. We had seven different principles that we can easily take and apply, and they're all good and right. Just like there are a lot of good things that we can do for the Lord that God calls us to do, and yes, we should do it, but just like the Pharisees did with God's law, may we not miss Jesus Christ for the good gifts that Jesus gives us. All of these principles, as well as so many other good things in our lives and in ministries, paint a picture and a small foretaste of something far greater and far better. All seven of these categories of laws point to our union with Christ that happens through the gospel when we come to Jesus and trust Him. If you're, if you're not sure what makes you a Christian, it's this. The gospel tells us that we couldn't perfectly obey God, which is sin. But yet Jesus Christ came down to earth to perfectly obey it for us. And he went to the cross in our place and he was substituted in our place. And when we trust in Jesus, we're then considered fully obedient by God, just simply by trusting in Jesus. Believing in Jesus alone makes you a Christian. That's it. That's it. If you, if you don't know him, trust him today. All seven of these principles that we've seen are true as a result of trusting in Jesus. Just listen to how these principles are true in Christ. These are the benefits. These are all the benefits of trusting in Christ. When we're in Christ, we're then able to come to Jesus and worship Him in spirit and in truth with simplicity and purity and we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to clean ourselves up first. We can come to Him just as we are. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we then become joined to Him as His servants and He takes care of us and watches over us and He wants what is good for us. In the gospel, we see that our life is valuable, that God values every aspect of our life. In fact, God gave up his son because he values our life for eternity. In the gospel, God shows us that our life is not about us and teaches us to love our neighbor and not only teaches us how, but he empowers us through the spirit, through his spirit to do it. And not only that, but in the gospel, God takes us as vulnerable people poor, vulnerable people in our sin as orphans and sojourners, and he makes us his own, and he adopts us as his beloved children. And then lastly, in the gospel, as we see all these things we've seen pictured in God's law today, but lastly, when we are joined with Christ, God provides rest for us. Jesus is our rest. God provides rest for the weary. And then he brings us in, and he celebrates us as his beloved and he helps us to remember his goodness and his mercy that follow us all the days of our life. And then he provides for us himself the bread of life and the living water to daily be our feast. 
And not only do we get a small taste of this now, as, but in the future from now. We get it now and later. Even greater later. When we see Jesus face to face and all of this, it will be far better and it will be eternal. Eternal. Eternally pure in right worship. Eternally bonded with our good and loving Master. Every life eternally valued. Eternal love for others and our neighbor. All pain and tears, they will be wiped away and there will be no more orphans. There will be no more widows. No more sojourners. And no more of the vulnerable exploited. It will all be no more. And then finally, there will be eternal rest for the weary souls with an eternal celebration with our eternal King. Where will we? It will be eternal. We'll be able to eternally feast on the goodness of God. Brothers and sisters, New City Church, may we not forget who we are. May we not forget what God is doing in and through us. And as a last parting word for us today, listen. Our primary plan and purpose in this life is not to be great law-abiding Christians, although good things. Our primary plan and purpose in life is to go to the one who was and is and to let him make us new and clean. Our ultimate goal is not to abide in the law, but rather to abide in Jesus Christ. Our plan and purpose is to day in and day out come and rest and worship at the feet of Jesus and let him change our restless hearts so that we can then lovingly obey. Listen again, the intention of the love of God, the law of God was love. The intention was to help us, as our main idea suggests, to love God and to love our neighbor in New City Church. Y'all, we desperately, desperately need help. We need to come to Jesus Christ and let the Spirit of God empower us and to equip us and to, and to love. And to love with the power that comes from our eternal good Master. Eternally good. Jesus Christ. Y'all, these, these laws are for our good, but don't, let's not miss what's ultimate. And I pray that today we can worship and love and rest and celebrate our ultimate good and loving Master, Jesus Christ, because it all points to Him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your law. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it all points to Jesus. Every single word points to Christ. God, would we remember him today? Would we remember our ultimate Savior, what you have done for us in Christ? Father, we love you and we need you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.